Good morning. It's uh, awesome to be in church this morning and to be worshiping the one true and living God. Amen. Amen. I hope you'll agree with me that uh, from the very beginning to the very end of Scripture, we pick up a story or we join the story of God that's wrapped up in the details of a God who creates. Genesis in the very beginning, very early stages, gives very clear details about the way in which God has created us and given his image, his very own image unto us as human creations. But that's not the only place in Scripture that we find any story or any image of a God who creates. All throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, even ending towards the end of, of, of all of Scripture in Revelation where it talks about the tree of life and all things coming to be born again and born new for all eternity. Life, precious to God. This month is the month that we typically as, as Christians and those who are interested in protecting the unborn life celebrate and work to advocate and make people aware for the issues surrounding abortion and caring for the unborn. This month is also a month that government circles have, have or government agencies have circled to highlight and make people aware for the issue of human trafficking. And probably you're aware of probably four or five other cause-related celebrations or emphasis this month or next month or early in the year in which we as a people both American citizens and as Christians are called to consider how we may be involved in, in helping people, sometimes rescuing people, sometimes saving people from tragedies in their life. All of my pastoral ministry, I've been involved in ministries outside of my church, but connected to the churches that I served in right to life issues. I serve full time now in orphan care, caring for those kids who are looking for forever families. I have grandparents who've aged and I'm interested in their end of life details and the things that surround them. And it's become kind of a, an issue with me or maybe something I've become aware of that we are great at getting involved in causes. We want to help feed the hungry and help care for the homeless. We want to support crisis pregnancy centers and adoptive ministries. We want to be involved in refugee ministry and sometimes prison ministry. Those things that kind of fit our agenda or fit the cause that kind of gets to our heart. But one of the things that, that kind of, I don't know, scares me or troubles me is that when we get really focused on a particular cause, sometimes we don't see the other causes or needs that surround our life, our family, our church, our community. So we may get a little tunnel vision on a cause that's worthy of our time and attention and investment, but we ignore some of the things that are right around us. And while it's good to be a cause-oriented or cause-focused church and family, I wish, I pray that we could be a creation-focused church, creation-focused family, for all of life is precious to God. Psalm 139 tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I get the wonderful part. I'm not so sure about the fearful part, but I'll accept it as scripture to be true, and I'll, and I'll live in that way. We need to value life. We need to protect life. We need to be aware of challenges and threats to other people's lives and do everything that we can to join God in his work to be those who preserve life, who make lives for other people better than they are when we find them. In John's Gospel, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me or listen as I read 
The Word was first. The Word was present to God. God present to the Word. The Word was God in readiness for God from day one. Now listen to this. Everything was created through Him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without Him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life, light, blazed out of darkness, and darkness could not put it out. We have the eternal life that is inside of us and with us and for us. And I wish that all of the causes that get close to our heart could be wrapped up in the belief that this life has come into the world and this life is Christ. And it is for all of life to be preserved. When we talk about God as creator, God as savior, we also talk about him as God our sustainer. The one who holds our life together and gives purpose and meaning even direction to the way that we live our lives. And I think that's especially true of the way that we live our Christian witness. Not indifferent to those causes that surround us, but involved, challenged, engaged, caring. I want to invite you to pray with me this morning for life. And without a doubt, you'll have a cause that's close to your heart, and you'll have a need that maybe is related to a neighbor or to a coworker or to an extended family member. Pray together that God would show us the way. That God would help us in every way be involved in caring for all of life that's around us. Father, we thank you for this day. This is the day that you've made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you for creating us and creating all things. Life is precious, and we recognize that. We see it not only in our own lives, but we see it in the lives of so many others. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are actively involved and engaged in the preservation and the caring and the rescue of those whose lives are threatened or in danger from the unborn to the one who's at the end of their life waiting for you to come for them. And for all those causes in between, the widow, the orphan, the prisoner, the one who's disabled, the one who's mentally challenged, the one who's all alone. In every category that we could, we could lay out, talk about, grieve over, and be broken by, Lord, let us not look past these needs. Let us not look past these people, for they are your needs and your people, and therefore they become our needs and our people. May we not be so focused on building up our own life and getting as much out of our life that we can that we neglect to care for others. May our lives and everything that we have be tools in your hands as you continue in the new birth of your creation and the declaration of salvation to all the world to be saved and made whole and to sustain all of life from the very beginning to the very end and every mountain and valley that's in between. May we hear and see and join you in your work always and forevermore we pray. Amen. The subject today as we continue to think about the fact that everything belongs to the Lord, today's subject is, is one that... Uh, 
that always can just get a little weird on us. Um, anytime uh, we talk about money in the church, um, there's potential for some folks to kind of shut down and say, ah, that's all churches want from us is our money. There's uh, potential for it to get uncomfortable if we think about how money is going in our own life, how it's being used, the lack of it, uh, those kind of things going on, the bills we have to pay, all, the, all those issues. And, and another thing that happens when we worship together and you know that you're headed towards talking about money, there's not a lot of songs to sing within the church that are really about money, especially ones that would get everybody you know, excited and fired up. There's just not a lot of, lot of there's just not a lot of songs out there in the, in the Christian pl- marketplace, worship uh, or contemporary or otherwise, that say a whole lot about money. Now, there's certainly a lot of songs out in, in the contemporary marketplace in the, in the world, in the secular world, that, uh, that are about money. Lots of them. And every genre of music, too. I mean, we could... We could start making a list. I don't know, you know what goes through your mind if you think of a song about money. My, my, the first one that hits my mind is money, 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 money. And that was the OJs, wasn't it? Yeah, for the love of money, I think. Um, maybe some of you start humming Material Girl by Madonna. I don't know. Maybe that, that, that hits your... And in Houston, maybe it'd be better to do Independent Women, Destiny's Child, going back a decade or so there. All the lady, all the honeys making money. Is that what it is? Is that what it is? That what, is something like that from, from that? You go back to old country songs like 16 Tons. I can hear Tennessee Ernie Ford singing that in a low bass voice. A lot of people don't know what I'm talking about, but you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You know? Um, uh, other, you know, Willie Nelson sang Lefty Frizzell's song, If You've Got the Money, Honey, I've Got the Time. There's also another line in there, in there that says, If you ain't got the money, I ain't got the time. So that's, uh, which is true. Uh, other, other genres like, uh, it was uh, the, the notorious B.I.G. that had what? Mo money, mo problems. Yeah, okay. And the Beatles had Tax Man. And uh, uh, Steve Miller band had go on, take the money and run. I think that's about robbing somebody and running off to Mexico or something. And one of my personal favorites was, was Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. I just liked the guitar licks in that. And, and it was in the 80s when, back when MTV was starting, and MTV stands for music television, and that was back when MTV actually played music, you know. And do uh, you, you remember that? Uh, now look at them yo-yos, uh, that's the way it is. Now that's the way you do it, you play the guitar on the MTV. Yeah, that ain't working, that's the way you do it. Money for nothing and chicks for free. Yeah, good Christian song, <laughs> I know. Uh, well, all of that's kind of from the gospel of our culture, uh, which is not uh, the same as the word of God. And the Word of God, uh, maybe unlike our, our hymnology or our songs within the church, the Word of God has a whole lot to say about money. I want to take you to a passage um, in uh, one of Paul's letters to his young, young friend and 
a young man that he was mentoring in ministry and in life, a young man named Timothy, the first of those letters that we find, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and beginning at verse 6, there are these verses where Paul said to him, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. There's a whole lot of truth to, to get a hold of here, but, but the tone is set in this direction by the Apostle Paul in these verses when he says to Timothy, Timothy, you need to choose contentment over greed. You need to choose contentment in your life over greed. And, and this coming uh, has credibility when, when you think about that the person writing this letter and wrote wrote many of his letters from prison. And the person writing this letter also in some of his letters refers to the fact that he, he worked his way through wherever he went. He was a bivocational guy going and starting churches, making tents and, and all of these kind of things. But he often wrote from prison. And from prison in the book of Philippians, he, he wrote this. He said, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And uh, that last verse is one that's quoted a whole lot and used in a whole lot of ways. I just want you to remember that Paul wrote that from prison and the context that he wrote that about was the context of being content with whatever you have. We contrast that with our culture and what it thinks about contentment and greed. Uh, anybody remember the, uh, the, uh, the movie Wall Street years ago and the famous Gordon Gecko speech? Michael Douglas, good actor, and he portrays this uh, financial uh, dealer and trader and, and all of that. And in that movie Wall Street, there was a, a famous bit of that movie where he gives what's kind of become known as the greed speech where he stands up in front of this this group of stockholders and there's this whole issue going on about maybe a hostile takeover and stuff and and he says the point is ladies and gentlemen that greed for lack of a better word is good greed is right greed works greed clarifies and cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, for knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but the other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. The reality is, is that greed is behind all kinds of uh, things that aren't good. 
perversions of justice, drug pushing, sales of pornography, blackmail, exploitation of, of poor people, the neglect of good causes. And, um, and greed is also at the source many times of the overwhelming debt that individuals and families find themselves in that affects every other area of their lives. In verse 8 that, that we read here, Paul, Paul said to Timothy, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. I, I want to just make something clear here. Food and clothing, you're thinking, Paul didn't even think it's important to have a roof over your head? Well, the, the word that in Greek that's translated clothing here, really a better translation of that would be covering, which would mean not only clothing, but a roof over your head. So let's just paraphrase it and say this. Food, clothing, and shelter. With that, let us be content. Yeah, right. You've got to be kidding, Pastor. I mean, food, clothes, and shelter. That's, that's enough. Well, okay, then what, what, else, what else should be on the list? What, what do you think? What, do you think? what else do you think has to be on the list for us to be content? Uh, food, clothing, shelter. Let's, let's start adding. How about a car? Oh, we live in Houston. I mean, if you don't have a car... Kind of tough, so, so maybe, maybe a car. Uh, come on, we live in the real world. You've got to have a TV, don't you? I mean, seriously, are you going to be content without a TV? Hmm? How, how about uh, a computer? I mean, it's just the reality of the way life works these days. You've got to have a, a computer. So surely, if Paul was writing this, uh, well, wait a minute, a cell phone. If we don't have a cell phone, I mean... I mean, some of us would actually get the shakes if it's not even in our hands right now. Half of you are holding it right now. I mean, we got to have that. So surely, if Paul was writing this letter today, he'd say, food, clothing, shelter, car, TV, computer, cell phone. Let us be content. Some of us are thinking, you know what would really be great? A bigger TV. Speaking of TVs, a, a, a bigger one, a, a nicer car, a bigger house, hmm. a faster computer, that's for sure. And cell phone, whatever cell phone, not the next one that's coming out, but the next next one that's coming out, that phone would be great. Are you trying to make us feel guilty? No, listen, I've, uh, I've got all those things. I've got a car. I've I got a TV, pretty good size one. I've got computers, cell phones, all that. But how much does it take to satisfy us? How much do we need to be content to, to rest with it? And then let me ask you this question, which Paul definitely addresses. 
how much of that stuff and how much of what's in your wallet and your bank account and whatever other accounts you have, how much of it will last? And for how long? And let me ask you this question. How much of all of that will you leave? Now, if you don't have a will, you should have one, especially if you've got children or grandchildren. How much of it will you leave? What's the answer to that? All of it. You're going to leave all of it. You're going to leave all of it. It's a very, very scriptural concept. Paul says it right here in verse 7. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can take we can't take anything with us when we leave it. That goes back to the Old Testament in the, the, where, where he's probably basing this on in Job chapter 1. Job said this. You can show that to me. Uh, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who at least one point in his life could have been considered the richest man in the world, said this, We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And we've come up with all kind of slogans and sayings that kind of, kind of go along with that. The basic one is this, you can't take it with you. The Bible really does say that. You can't take it with you. But as Paul warned, we still often fall into traps and traps that lead to a lot of trouble because of what we would desire and what we pursue and how we handle and yearn for money. And he was given Timothy this warning. Beware of any desire that moves you away from the truth. Any desire that, that pulls you away from the truth, the true faith. The true faith meaning this, that God is my source. And that whatever I have is a result of His goodness and mercy. And that ultimately God is the source and whatever He will provide for me according to His will that should be enough. That should be what I'm content with. And of course, this applies to a lot more than just money to make this recognition, to not let any desire move us away from the true faith that God is the source and that whatever God has for me according to His will is enough for me. And you know what? Where we get into trouble with money and with anything else and where what really sin is all about is our decision that what God has for us is not enough. That I've got to go against His plan and His commandments and His will because it's not satisfactory. There's something better. There's something more. And that's the deceit that the enemy throws our way. It applies to all of life, not just money. My life was forever impacted a few years ago when, when because of, of the generosity of the church, I got to go down to Brazil. And
and uh, see what God is doing through the church of the Nazarene in that part of the world where it's just growing by leaps and bounds and is, is so strong. And I got to meet uh, this, little, this little pastor named Miguel Rodriguez. And uh, Miguel is, a, is a, a guy about this tall and about 10 years older than I am. And he's been going up and down the Amazon River in the, in the northern part of Brazil in the Amazon jungle, planting churches for several years. Just planting little churches and villages. I'm not talking about building buildings like we have. Just finding a gathering point and then maybe building some small shelter and, then, and gathering a group of people and getting them started together and then getting them to reach out to their friends and neighbors and then moving on down the river. He's a man who has very little compared to me materially. I would just guess that, you know, my financial worth or whatever is probably 10 to 20 to 30, who maybe knows, 50 times what Pastor Miguel has. But when I got to meet him and talk to him, and in a moment when he laid his hands on me and prayed over me, I felt like the Apostle Paul himself was praying for me. And I thought, here is a man that, in what is really valuable, has maybe a whole lot more than I do. And it just, when I think about him, and think about all that I have, and I think about the moments where I am discontented, it makes me just stop, and maybe it's the Lord saying, you need to check yourself here. You have plenty, and you have me. Is that enough? You know what I think might be a healthy exercise for all of us? And there, there are ways to do this uh, in an organized way, and we've offered classes here at the church uh, called Financial Peace. There's even one going on right now. I'm sure we'll have more in the future. And financial peace, maybe that phrase, maybe, Paul, you'd... Nod your head if I'm, if I'm, uh, if I'm right. That it's, it's a lot about contentment, godly contentment, and managing your money well in a way that would honor God. But a healthy exercise for any of us, whether you take a class or not, might be at some point today, just on pen and paper or on the computer somewhere, if you just created a couple of columns and compared your needs with your wants. And I wonder how much shifting between columns some things might, some things might, might go. What's, what's really a need compared to what it is that I want? Are you saying it's wrong to want anything? I'm not saying that. This passage and the scripture don't say that money is evil. It just says the love of it and the misunderstanding of it and the misuse of it. And out-of-balance desire for it. You see, Paul wasn't pointing at and saying that the goal, the goal isn't poverty. The goal isn't to be destitute. In fact, many times in Scripture, we're instructed to fight against that. We're instructed to take what we have and to try to help people who are truly poor, to make sure they have food, clothing, and shelter. Jesus says when you see somebody that doesn't have those things, it's as if and you, you help them with those things. It's as if you're, if you're doing it for me. And the scripture is just full of all kinds of instruction about, about fighting against injustice and helping the poor and helping one another within the church. We've talked about that a couple of weeks ago. 
But it's about this idea of contentment in a place where God has first place and first priority and where He's enough. I want to give you some context. It's so important when we're looking at Scripture that we understand full context and not just take verses isolated. And the context before the verses that, that I read you a little bit ago, there was, there was a warning that Paul was given against arrogance and against corruption. And he even talked about some people who were trying to use their religion or their place, maybe their connection to a church, to, to uh, have ungodly financial gain. That just wasn't right, wasn't on the up and up. And the truth, the honest truth is, religion, including the Christian religion, can be a source of major greed and indulgence. You just look at church history, and there's, there's quite a few examples of that. Where the church misused power for, for wealthy gain and for, for promising things and all that kind of stuff, you can see that. You can look in... in Religious history and, and pseudo-Christian stuff and cults and see a lot of abuse financially and a lot of corruption. Guys raising themselves up to a place of power, taking advantage of people saying, give me all you have, and they live in wealth while these people continue to stay down here. And i got to be honest, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good stuff where, where God's name's lifted up, and I don't, I don't view... TV preachers as, as our enemies in any way, there's, and there's a lot of good that goes out, but some of what I see on, quote, Christian television, if I was an unbeliever, I would look at that and go, you've got to be kidding me. And I'm talking about the, the people that, it doesn't matter what passage in the Bible, they'll find, they'll find a way to take that verse of the Bible and say, I'll tell you what this means. It means this, if you give me $100, and if you really believe, God's going to give you ten times that, or maybe more. Well, I thought that verse said, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, you obviously don't understand what, you know. I went to a stewardship seminar. Stewardship is kind of the church word for talking about money. That we're stewards or managers of what God has given to us and with the church and, and how we do things, that we're stewards of that. I went to this stewardship seminar. It looked good on paper uh, in Oklahoma City about, uh, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago. And, and I listened uh, to this big grand introduction for the first 15, 20 minutes about this guy's accomplishments or whatever. And then, and then he spent a full hour talking to, uh, to those in the room, especially pastors, about how they could collect unaudited love offerings. And they wouldn't have to pay taxes on it. You spent an hour talking about that. And, and, and I'm kind of looking around like, what? And I mean, I, you know what happened? I started feeling kind of, I started feeling kind of dirty. And I'd paid a few bucks to be there, and I didn't know what else was going to happen, but it came time for a break, and I was gone. Paul warns about that in those first few verses. He, give con he gives context to that. that. That's not who we are, and that's not what we're about. And then he gave those instructions to, 
to Timothy and to most folks about what you would do with, with money and the warnings against it. Here's some further context. The verses that immediately follow that, uh, what I was talking about earlier, uh, beginning at verse 11. I just want to read this to give context and, and don't need to say much else about it. But he says this, But you, Timothy, are a man of God. And it's not a capital M. It doesn't mean this is for pastors. And it doesn't mean it's just for the male of the species. But it means, Timothy, you belong to God. So run from all these evil things and pursue righteousness, a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God's called you, which you've confessed so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering, and then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die, and He lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach Him. No human eye has seen Him, nor ever will. All honor and power to Him forever and ever. He said, Timothy, that other stuff you run away from, but you pursue Christ as Lord and leave everything else behind. Then he moves on. That's kind of just that context. That, that Look, this is the end goal here is Christ. But the practical advice continues. Let's move on. Talk some more about money in verses 17 through 19. And it's kind of interesting the way Paul begins this verse. He says, teach those who are rich in this world. And we could get into a lot of debates about, about rich. What is rich? We just had that this last year of elections. What, what is rich? Is it, is it 200,000? Is it 250,000 a year? Is it, what did they settle on? They went to 400,000 and then they settled on a million a year, right? So we just got a room full of rich people here today, correct? Now, in terms of the world's economy, there's a whole lot going on there that that doesn't apply to. Verses 17 through 19 say this. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. The big point of this is simply this. Trust in God, not your money. Trust in God, not your money. There was a song I left out earlier. It, it, it might be as famous or more famous than any other ones I mentioned earlier, but the Beatles sang, Money Can't Buy Me Love. Right? Can't buy me love. That's kind of a, that's kind of a, a maxim or a motto or a, a saying that's, you know, that's out there in our culture and has been for a long time. The British New Testament scholar Tom Wright says that many people give lip service to the maxim, 
Money can't buy happiness, but most give life service, note the play on words there, to the hope that it just might after all. Because some of you are sitting there thinking, well, all that you're saying today, Pastor, is well and good about contentment. But if I had just a little more, money can't buy happiness. You know those, you know those really big houses on cypress wood in the Champions area? It's, you know, you all know what I'm talking about? If, you go, if you're going down Cypress Wood through the Champions area, kind of between, what is it, between Cutting Road, kind of starts there with Ravenel Country Club and, and goes on. You know what I'm talking about? Big, big, ginormous, gargantuan, beautiful houses. Is there anybody here today that lives in one of those? I wasn't sure. I mean, you never know who's going to be here. There's a couple of things. If you live in one of those houses, number one, I'd like to meet you and, and go to your house. And, and I don't want to offend you. And I don't know anything about, I don't personally know anybody that lives in one of those houses. But I drive by them often. It's, it's on the way to, the, to uh, my route to, to play softball when, we, when we're playing in the spring and summer. And, and uh, you know, when, when I'm driving through there and I look... I look over at those homes, and when you drive through there and you look over those homes, is, is your first thought, oh, I bet they're not happy. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that um, some of the stories connected to those homes and the people that live now or have lived in those homes. Some of the stories connected to those homes and families are, are tragic. Maybe it's because there's heartbreak that that's happened or illness that's happened or relationships broken down or whatever that you just can't put an amount of money on. It just won't buy the happiness. Probably to some of those stories, some of those homes, some of those people there, there's been a fortune that was lost. There's probably somebody living in one of those houses now because the person that lived in that house before lost the ability to pay for that house. Probably been a story or two related to one of those homes where Sort of like this, they went to bed very wealthy and they woke up not so much because the market crashed or the company was lost. All of that to make this point, when Paul says, don't trust in God but trust in your money because money is unreliable, money is temporary, Money is uncertain. He knew what he was talking about. It's about putting your trust in God as your source. Speaking of the Super Bowl, um, which everybody, you know, I just, it, it just, I really wish there was not two weeks 
from the last game to the Super Bowl. One week of talking about it is enough for me. It's, it's plenty. Did you know that we have a, uh, um, a Nazarene who is playing in the Super Bowl next Sunday? Uh, he's a young man named Billy Bajima. Um, I've known Billy for, for quite a while. I'm not close to Billy, but I, I knew him and his family for, for several years. And they were part of the church we were part of in Oklahoma, Pastor Chad and Jen. Uh, no Billy. Billy has played in the NFL for seven years, um, and he is now a member of the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, he was originally drafted after four years uh, at Oklahoma State, where he was an academic All-American and an All-Big 12 uh, player his senior year. He was drafted by the 49ers. Kind of ironic now, he's going to play against the 49ers in the Super Bowl. He played for them for... Uh, for uh, uh, four years and played for uh, the St. Louis Rams uh, for a couple of years and now has been this year with the Baltimore Ravens. He's number 86, so if you see him, if you see him out on the field, it'll probably be a situation where he's playing special teams or uh, they've decided they're going to run the ball for short yardage and they bring in an extra blocking tight end. But nevertheless, he's played in the NFL for seven years, which is way over the average of uh, anybody who makes it that far. And um, a couple of years ago, Billy uh, just gave a little perspective on his life and, um, and where he is in this video. And I want you to take a look at this. My dream to be a pro football player or pro athlete. I played baseball and basketball. And I knew I wanted to be a pro athlete ever since I was little. That was my dream. And I think a lot of people have dreams uh, of big things that they want to do, but they don't necessarily do what it takes to get there. I played for four years at Oklahoma State and received the uh, uh, Academic All-American Award and All Big 12 uh, my senior year. And I received the FCA Bobby Bowden Award my senior year. This was my rookie year in the NFL. Got drafted in the seventh round by the San Francisco 49ers and uh, ended up getting to start seven games at tight end. It's, it's a neat experience and, and just being able to do what I always wanted to do as a little kid, it's, uh, it's a dream come true. I got involved in Fellowship of Christian Athletes when I went to Oklahoma State. We had meetings on Thursday night, and that's a night in college when a lot of people go party. and, and uh, It's a party night in college, but it's also the FCA night, so it gave me something else to do that, that I liked. But what I really liked about it was that um, we got involved and we went out to schools and, and gave you an opportunity to use the platform of football. Um, to share my faith. I became a Christian when I was um, just real little and I was always involved in sports so I, my dream was that someday I could use sports as an avenue for that. I think the discipline that it takes to um, go out and lift or run or do the things that you need to do athletically um, when you don't necessarily feel like it is the same kind of thing that that it takes to stay strong as a Christian. It's just uh, something inside of you that you know what you really want. Overall, I think it's the, the uh, same discipline and, and 
hard work and realizing that you've got a goal and a plan for your life and, and that God has a plan for your life. And, and so my goal in life is to become more focused on that, uh, become a stronger Christian every day and uh, so that when it's all said and done I can, I can say, you know, I did something good with what God's blessed me with because uh, when you boil it all down that's what we're here for. I think with every gift that we're given, whether it's um, financially or our talents or whatever, um, God expects us to use that for Him and as far as what we're blessed with um, financially, I never really had an income or anything before I uh, started playing in the NFL, but what I did have, I you know, tried to give God His part and honor Him with it. A Bible passage that's really meant a lot to me um, when I think about what God's blessed me with athletically and in so many ways it comes from Luke 12:48. It, it talks about uh, from the one to whom He's given much, much will be required and, and to whom much has been entrusted, much will, more will be asked. And I think that's just a challenge and uh, you know Jesus says that uh, when he's given us a lot, he expects a lot out of us, and I, I take that as a kind of a challenge to me, and it, I guess, motivates me to want to use my life to, uh, for a purpose and, and to do a lot with it. When Billy was 13 years old, he, uh, he walked into Pastor Stan Toller's office, and uh, he said, uh, Pastor, I want to... I want to tithe. And he had uh, in an envelope $1 out of his $10 allowance that his parents were giving him each week. And uh, he said, I, I, want, to, I want to do this with, with all the money that, that I get. Nine years later, uh, he came back with a tithe check um, after, uh, after signing with the 49ers. And his tithe check was, uh, was more than one week's income for the entire church when he gave that first dollar nine years before. And some of you are thinking, boy, I knew he was going to get the tithing. I knew somehow, uh, even though it shows up nowhere in the passage he read to us, the word is not there, even though I've done a little research and it's only... It's only mentioned like once or twice in the entire New Testament. And I, I just, I do, I do feel like talking about money that I, I should say something about this issue. Tithing, the word tithe means a tenth. It's the practice of giving the first 10% of what you have uh, to God. Uh, it starts out in the Old Testament in a, in, a, in a society where there wasn't an exchange of currency and money. It was about harvesting your crops, give the first 10% of your crops, you know, Take it, to the, take it to the priest, take it to the temple, or for however uh, they would deem to use it as a way of saying and giving the first tenth to God. We live in a, in a currency cash-based uh, society and have for a long time. And so when we talk about it, yeah, we're talking about actual money. Um, it is an Old Testament system, tithing is. That's just an, an honest assessment from a pastor. It's an Old Testament system that is only just touched on in the New Testament. 
but it is also a system that has been the time-proven lifeline for the historical church for, for 2,000 years. And it is also, and the reason I bring it up today primarily, is because I believe it is a great starting point if you really want to live out a life where you trust God more than you trust your money. And that you trust that God is a generous, faithful God. And that he has some clue about what he's doing. I believe it's that kind of starting point. That if I make a decision that, if, if you base it on, if, if the vast majority of us, if you base it on, well, here's what I'm bringing in, and here's what i got to pay, and you say, I look at this and go, there's not enough left over. Exactly. Not enough left over. But if you start right here, and I think there's a, at least a handful of people in here that would give witness with me. If you start here and say, I trust God, and here's a tangible way to say it, somehow you will have enough. That's my life story. It's not about, I'm not talking about getting rich, and I'm not talking about making any promises here today that if you'll start doing this, all of a sudden you'll be, become wealthy. And I also want to tell you something else that some of you have been around here for years have heard me say this. I don't look at anybody's financial giving records here at this church. I do not look at that. Okay? I do not know what you give. Okay? I can't do that. It's between me and God. I did it early on in ministry. It affects my attitude towards people. And sometimes in a, in a, in a negative way. A negative way as in you don't give anything, don't talk to me, uh, I don't want to live like that, or you give a whole lot, I really need to listen to what you say. I, I, I don't do that. And also, just in case you're wondering, if somehow the offering's bigger today, my paycheck will still be the same, okay? It's, it's not, not based like that. I don't get bonuses based on a percentage increase of, of giving, It's just, I bring that up today because of two things right there. It is a time-proven lifeline for the church. But it's also just a great starting point for you to say, I trust God more than anything else. And I rely on Him. It is all about with our money, both as individuals and as a church, and we seek to do this as a church, to use what you have to do the most good. Billy talked about that, didn't he? Use what God has given you to do the most good. We seek to do that as a church. Paul says that's what the best use of our money is. To do good. To be rich in good deeds. To be generous. For the good of others. And he references the words and the image that, that Jesus used when he said, by doing this, you'll be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future. Jesus himself said, lay up for yourselves, invest in eternity. 
Invest in what will last and last and last, not in what can be stolen or not what will fade away. Invest yourself and your resources in eternity. And when you do that, you won't, you won't confuse the gift with the giver. And you'll recognize God is my source. God is the one who's blessed me and enabled me to have the job that I have, the income that I have, the abilities that I have. If you don't have a job right now, God is your source and he's the one that will provide and see you through. And so I take what he's given me and I use it first to honor him and then I want to mirror his character. Let, let my life be a reflection of his so that I give graciously and generously to bless others the same way that he's given to me. The big picture here is this. God gives life to everything. We established that earlier in the service today. And he is our source. He is our goal. I want us to uh, make the... Um, well, before we do that, let me, there, there's three words that, that if you just kind of would take and write somewhere on your outline today, before, if you put it up or, or want to make a mental note, three, three words that you could take away today to talk to us about what the Scripture has to say to us about money. The first is contentment. If God provides us with the basic things, that should be enough. Contentment. The other word is gratitude. Gratitude brings in that whole recognition of God being the supplier. And then generosity. God doesn't just call some of us to be generous. He calls all of us, all of us to do that. Take those things away with you today. Now I want us to make the confession that we've made the last couple of weeks. Um, we got that. We can bring that up together. Based out of First Chronicles 29, where King David's prayer. Will, uh, will you say this with me? Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the splendor, and the majesty. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. All things come from you, and of your own do we give you. We're going to continue to worship and conclude today. We're going to take our offering, receive our offering. And uh, not anything special about it, just an opportunity to continue to give and put our trust in God.